Hey there, everybody, and welcome out to another episode of Redeemed Through His Blood. Scott Durfee here, joined as always by Uncle David. What's up, Dave? Hey, Scott, on my way over here, I was listening to John Denver <laughs> singing, uh, I love John Denver's Christmas album, Rocky Mountain Christmas. And uh, I was listening to it, and he was singing Aspen Glow. I think that's the name of the the song. He had this little saying, and I thought, yeah, I can... I can relate to that. He he was saying, as the weather gets colder, our hearts grow warmer. And I thought I got I just I just thought about that, the rest of the way over here, and thought you know there's there, there this really is a, a special time of the year. I, I know it can be also a hard time of the year for many people, but but I think generally, um, it can be such a special time of the year as the seasons change and the weather gets colder. It seems that our hearts gets warmer as we get closer to Thanksgiving and Christmas and all that we have to be thankful for. It's such a great time of the year. Yeah, you know, I went to an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting Saturday. And as it gets colder and as we get closer to the holidays, those rooms swell. Uh, really? <laughs> yeah. Well, things, Why is that? you know, this season brings out the magnifying glass and, and makes our problems and uh, and and misalignments, let's put it that way, seem even bigger. This is a time typically for family. It's not uncommon for alcoholics and addicts and those who suffer from those types of things to have estranged themselves from their families or to not even have a family in a lot of cases. I know that's true. I've been aware of that. As a remember when I was a bishop, it was such a hard time of the year for members of our ward who were alone or lonely. Yeah kind of down and out it's it does magnify it i think you're right magnifies our our challenges and problems but it also can be such a a a time to humble ourselves and examine ourselves which is part of the reason why you know more people who who aren't happy with where they're at they're they become extremely unhappy with where they're at so i anyway i i think it's i'm grateful to feel that that line is for the most part true as the weather gets colder our hearts get warmer and uh, hope it is for all of our listeners Scott I had a thought and I thought I would share it today even though it's it's not on our topic we're going to talk about the pre-mortal existence today finish our conversation and our lesson on the pre-mortal existence today which is one of my favorite topics but I uh I, I read this quote, and I just really loved it and uh, wanted to share it today. It's actually from a general conference years ago. Sister uh, Joy Jones, primary president of the church. And she she wrote, If the love we feel for the Savior, and we could say love and focus that we feel for the Savior, and what he did for us, is greater than the energy we give to weaknesses, self-doubts, bad habits, or poor circumstances. Then he will help us overcome the things which cause misery in our lives. He saves us from ourselves. Let me reemphasize, she wrote, if the pull of the world is stronger than the faith and trust we have in the Savior, then the pole of the world will prevail every time. If we choose to focus 
on our negative thoughts and doubts are worth, or, or sorry, if we choose to focus on our negative thoughts and doubt our worth instead of trusting in and relying on the Savior, it becomes more difficult to feel the impressions of the Holy Ghost and to feel peace and joy in our life. I, I just think that's so great. It's so true. I know that's true. It just really spoke to me. So you're right, Scott. It's, it's about what, what do we choose to focus on. And if we, and it takes energy to focus. Whatever you choose to focus on, negative or positive, good or bad, spiritual or worldly, whatever you choose to focus on, it takes energy. And believe it or not, it's a choice. It is a personal, individual choice if you choose to focus your thoughts on that. It's not a choice. We don't always have a choice what thoughts come into our mind. But if it becomes our focus, that's our choice. What we choose to focus on is a decision that we make. And sometimes, sometimes I know unconsciously, we, subconsciously, we make, we make that choice. So we need to be, I think, more intentional this season of the year and the rest of the year, all year, about what we choose to spend our energy on in focusing on what we choose to focus on. Yeah, say that three times fast. <laughs> Sorry, I hope <laughs> but, that made sense. No, it, it actually did. <laughs> but but you know what, David? The 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 really cool thing about all of this is as we start again, restart this lesson today on pre-mortal life, pre- pre-existence, war in heaven, who we are, whose we are, all of that. Understanding those things help us to position our focus in a way that's more positive and can actually create that focus. You said it, you know, sometimes subconsciously our focus begins, and and that's in large part due to a lot of uh, influences. One is the natural man, for sure. Right. We do have that to contend with, but the other one has something to do with our habits, Right. If we are in the habit of focusing on negative, then our, our, our knee-jerk reactions are going to be t- towards the negative. We, we were just talking before we got started here today uh, about a couple of people who are just always happy. Yeah, uh, like the gift of Deb, my wife has the gift of happiness. Now she's she's not in a perfect mood all the time, you know, but and she does feel the effects of the fall emotionally and everything else, but she really does have the gift of happiness. Well, that gift of happiness has been cultivated by her. Yeah, you know, I she love that. she has made the choice cultivated. She has made the choice to cultivate and care for that spiritual gift that she has and, and to make it grow. Her mom's like that. Mm. You know, when you ask Shirley, how are you doing? The first thing she'll always say, and regardless of how she's feeling or what's happening in her life, and, and she's getting along in years and she's not perfect in, in her health by any stretch of the imagination, but I can call her right now. Shirley, how you doing? Oh, Scott, I'm happy. That will be her response. <laughs> That's sweet. Yeah. But it's easy to do that when we choose to focus our focus on Jesus, that one needful thing. We talked about that last week. Yeah. That one needful thing. And if he's our focus, especially, you know, as we as we get closer to Christmas, he is the reason for the season. And if he is our focus during this uh, holiday season as we uh, begin to get closer to it, really we can have, as President Nelson promised us, we can have joy if Jesus Christ is our focus, 
in any circumstances. Right. Even he, in his suffering, he did it for the joy, Hebrews teaches. Right? So, I don't know. I, I just think that we have probably um, more. Well, I know. I know I have more. I'll just speak to me. I know I have more control over my focus than I think I do. I know, I know I don't have perfect control over my thoughts, but I know I have more control than I think I do over my focus. Mm-hmm. And what you choose to focus on determines uh, your choices, determines your decisions. I, I just think it's, it's really critical. So just a thought that uh, hopefully we can, we can choose where to uh, spend or invest our, our energy our mental capacities and cultivate some of those things in our life. Uh, premortal existence, Scott, is again one of my favorite topics, and it's become more so later in my life because of experiences I've had with individuals in my own family, giving patriarchal blessings, and others with the with the reality of the premortal existence. I've heard stories throughout my life of individuals who have had, you know, uh, glimpses or who've had experiences or, you know, spiritual experiences that have confirmed to them the reality of a pre-mortal existence. And I, I believe them. But until you kind of have your, some of your maybe own personal experiences with it, um, maybe it d- doesn't seem quite as real as it, as it could or should in our lives. The prophets we, we established, I think, last week, the kind of the scriptural foundation. Uh, we, we talked about the, the book of Abraham and Alma and Doctrine and Covenants in section 93, and there, there, we could have used many other scriptures. But today I want to just talk maybe a little bit more about the, some details about the pre-mortal existence and uh, some experiences that, uh, that I've had and that maybe you've had that our listeners hopefully can relate to or be inspired by. So let's just talk a little bit. Let's begin by talking a little bit about the war in heaven and what we understand about the war in heaven. It was a crucial part and uh, affected all of us in the pre-mortal existence. Uh, I know that it has been taught, and it sometimes still is, that uh, when we were in the Council of Heaven that in Satan's Rebellion, that he proposed to force us to keep the commandments. I think that is, that's been taught in the church, and, and I don't think we have a perfect understanding of the war in heaven, and I don't think it's necessarily wrong to say that. But I think that um, there's a more universal proposal that he made that would destroy agency than by just forcing us. And it's one that I actually learned from Brother Matthews, Robert J. Matthews, who wrote the Bible Dictionary. And it's interesting that it's in the Bible Dictionary, and it continues to be in the Bible Dictionary, in the latest edition of the Bible Dictionary. So in the Bible Dictionary, on page 741, under... The uh, subtitle, War in Heaven. The war was primarily over how and in what manner the plan of salvation would be administered 
to the forthcoming human family upon the earth. The issues involved, such things as agency, how to gain salvation, and who should be the Redeemer. The war broke out because one-third of the spirits refused to accept the appointment of Jesus Christ as the Savior. Such a refusal was a rebellion against the Father's plan of redemption. Notice, Scott, that it says the Father's plan of redemption. I, I know that's been well emphasized over the last several years since Saturday's Warrior popular play and movie and uh, the you know, idea came out and it looked like it was Savior's, the Savior's plan. It wasn't the Savior's plan. It wasn't the Son's plan. It's the Father's plan. Everyone knew that Jesus Christ was chosen by the Father to be our Savior and Redeemer and that, that, that he would be the center of the plan of redemption. And then Satan, you know, has this uh, other plan, and I, I don't respect him enough to even call it a plan. I think it's just an outright rebellion. The Bible Dictionary continues. It was evident that if given agency, some persons would fall short of complete salvation. Lucifer and his followers wanted salvation to come automatically to all who pass through mortality without regard to individual preference, agency, or voluntary dedication. One more time, this sentence is key. Lucifer and his followers wanted salvation to come automatically, meaning we're not going to force you to do anything. It's going to come automatically. It's going to come unconditionally to everyone who passes through mortality without regard to individual preference, agency, or voluntary, or voluntary dedication. Well, that, that is no doubt the most universal, effective way to destroy agency is to say it doesn't matter what you choose. It doesn't matter what you do. Uh, go down there and do anything you want. Party. Uh, party on. It doesn't matter. There will be no accountability. There will be, I will save you. We'll all, everyone, universal, this, this is the essence of universalism, that everyone will be saved. That was the false philosophy that uh, Elder McConkie teaches, that this was a philosophy of Satan and others, his followers, that was uh, impossible, What he couldn't pull it off because he wasn't going to overthrow God. God was sovereign. He was not going to overthrow God or God's laws. But in essence, he, that's what he was saying. He was, he, was over, he was seeking to overthrow God by destroying law and accountability. And if you do that, Scott, if there's no commandments, think about it. If there's no commandments and there's no accountability, and it doesn't matter what I do, you destroy agency. Agency is, doesn't matter anymore. It's gone. So that, I believe, is what Satan proposed. And, and to, really, to really believe that, to really nail that down, look at the culture that we're living in right now. I mean, the war continues. We're still in the war. The prophets have taught that. The war in heaven has been... Uh, 
just transferred from the pre-mortal existence to this earth. And here in mortality, we see that, all right, so no doubt, communism and other dictatorships force people and they destroy agency. And I actually believe, Scott, that when the rise of communism is where this teaching of forcing people, that kind of became the model, communism, and and forcing governments that would force other people. I think that's where the whole idea that maybe that was part of the war in heaven and that Satan's plan, or sorry, Satan's rebellion, was to force us, and that's how he was going to destroy agency. As I've studied it, as you go back and, and there were some absolute comparisons made to communism and what happened in the war in heaven. So I think that's kind of where that is really emphasized, that uh, that the war in heaven was about force. But I believe that it is definitely more universal to do, a more universal effort uh, to, to destroy agency, a more effective way to destroy agency, is by saying it doesn't matter go to the church of what's happening now just go down and do anything you want good bad evil it doesn't matter i'll save you i'll get the credit that's what satan proposed well we see here right we see here in mortality that's pretty hard to say no to obviously right people are wow just pro-choice and i'm not i'm not saying that in terms of one one uh decision or choice in, in you know people here pro choice they think they think of abortion i i'm saying that his whole thing was hey just go choose anything you want that's how you destroy agency is by destroying law by destroying commandments and destroying accountability if there's no accountability then there's no need for a savior there's no need for an atonement this gets back to the very center of the Antichrist in the Book of Mormon, Nehor, in, in Alma chapter 1, you know, where he proposes, hey, we don't need a Savior. Well, you don't need a Redeemer. Because there is no sin. Korahor, there's no crime. There's no crime. It's just uh, dog-eat-dog, survival of the fittest. You know, it, that's what was proposed in the pre-mortal existence. So when you think about that, and, and um, that's, uh, that's what I believe, it really does affect how you see what's going on in this life, and maybe even in my own life and in your own life, is that, wow, I, I, need, to be, I need to be careful. And I need to not just be drifting with the culture here. I need to stand up. I need to make some choices and decisions in my life because that's what decisions, choices, accountability to those decisions and choices, right and wrong, things are not relative. There is absolute truth, and there is absolute right and wrong, good and evil, righteousness and wickedness. But Saint proposed that there wouldn't be any of that. That just do what you just do what you want. Do what feels good, and I'll save you. No wonder one-third followed him. Isn't that amazing that one-third of the host, Brother Matthews used to always say that the reason he believes that it wasn't about force, because he says nobody likes to be forced to do anything. 
He says, I can't believe that if Satan would have said, hey, I'm going to force you to keep the commandments, that no way would he have gotten one-third to follow him. But the reason he got so many to follow him, the, the reason that was so attractive and popular was because they were worried, the one-third that did end up following him, they, were, they doubted their ability to either choose the right or they didn't want to rely on a Savior or Redeemer. They, they felt like they could be totally independent, do their own thing, and it would free them up, and they would be free, liberated. No wonder one-third of the host of heaven wanted to follow him. And no wonder, Scott, that so many we see in our culture, throughout the world, really, no many... No wonder so many here are attracted to that philosophy. It's pretty attractive. Yeah, there's no doubt. Well, and there's a couple of reasons for that. I, I love um, some of the points that you made, all of the points that you made, but there's a, a few of the points that you made, I think, that are especially poignant or relative to uh, the things that we talk about in this podcast. One of the one of the things that you said, you know, you bring up Nehor, you know, and this whole Nehor principle. Yeah, right? no sin. Yeah, the the the, the whole Nehor principle, uh, you you'll find that throughout the entire Book of Mormon. You'll th- find it through other scripture. You'll find it in our culture. You'll find it in our in our own lives, uh, all around us, even within the church to a degree. I mean, you know, it's, it's a bit of a stretch, but we can even find it there. But the whole idea behind that is is you know everything's okay. You're okay. I'm okay. Everything's just okay. You're right. Yeah. There's no big deals. There's no problem with what you're doing. Just go ahead. And do whatever, your thing. Whatever makes you feel good. Yep. Right. And, and I, I, there's a couple of things here. Um, you read from the Bible dictionary. I'm just another part that I'm going to read here. This is also under the War of Heaven. It says the warfare is continued in mortality, and the conflict between right and wrong, between the gospel and the false principles, etc. The same contestants and the same issues are doing battle, and the same salvation is at stake. Yeah, I love that, Scott. <laughs> Thanks for reading it. I think it's so cool how it's, he it's true how he puts that because it is true. Yeah. you know, we talk about this war in heaven like it was a, and it was. You know, there there we had some some experience in it in a past part of our lives, part of our spiritual existence, right? But I think it, that sometimes it's not as obvious or it's less likely for us to see or to think about that same thing going on here, that same philosophical debate, debate the Nehor principle in Alma 1, you yeah. know, that, I mean, that was many, many, many centuries after the war in heaven, and here we are many, many, many centuries after that, and nothing's changed. Right. <laughs> so we have it. Right. Uh, but, so the, but the point here is, okay, so this is great, and this is important doctrine. I can see that, but how and why does that help me uh, with my relationship with the atonement of Jesus Christ? And, and I think that I can answer that in part, and I want to hear what you have to say about it too, but I, I, one of the things that I think about when I ask myself that question, okay, how does that relate to what's going on here? If I had that relationship there, if I really knew him there, uh, and, and that's what we're talking about here, if we knew him, we voted with our, with our uh, devotion, with our, with our commitment to him to, to follow his plan, Heavenly Father's plan that mm-hmm. would be carried out by the Savior. Well, 
by knowing him and having ha- that experience, and, and, and we know we knew him, and we know which way uh, we fell on these issues, the, that's evidenced by our being here in mortal form. Well, here we are in mortal form, and if we can have and tap into those remembrances, that memory of somehow what it was like there, why was it so important for me then, and those things will pull forward. We'll be able to pull those spiritual memories, those spiritual remembrances from that time. Dave, you get the experiences probably more than most people in the church because of your experiences with the patriarchal blessings. But we can pull those experiences forward, tap in again to who we really are, and through that, feel the relief from the effects of the fall of Adam and Eve through Christ's power as is afforded to us through his atonement. Yeah, that's, that's awesome, Scott. The, the, the three A's really are the center of this doctrine. And, and to really understand what happened in the pre-mortal existence and what the war in heaven was all about. It was about the three A's, are agency, accountability, and atonement. There was, there was a years ago a, a great conference talk given. That was the title of the talk by Elder Boyd K. Packer. There have been BYU devotionals that have used that title, and I invite our listeners to look up all of them and read them and understand that the war in heaven and the war that we fight now is really centered in those three A's. Agency, which is there is no agency if there's no accountability, and accountability would never matter if there were not an atonement of Jesus Christ. That all three of those are dependent upon the, I mean, those are the, those are the essence, those three A's, make up the essence of the, of the Father's plan of salvation and his plan of redemption, that agency has to be honored. It has to be protected at all cost. We read, we read the verse last, uh, the passage of Scripture in Revelations 12 last week about uh, the war in heaven, just briefly, and how we, how we conquered Satan right? And the three ways that we conquered him was through the blood of the Lamb, that the atonement of Jesus Christ had power, had effect on us, even in the pre-mortal existence. We progressed there based not upon our own strength or genius, but we progressed in the pre-mortal existence based on the atonement of Jesus Christ. It was retroactive. If the atonement of Jesus Christ was retroactive to Adam, to Alma, to all of those before Jesus even carried out the atonement, then it's retroactive all the way back into our pre-mortal existence. And it is. That's what we believe, that the atonement of Jesus Christ had power and influence and strength in our life. We had faith in Jesus Christ, Scott before we were ever born. I, I always just get a little twinge when I hear that in the pre-mortal existence, I, I actually taught this in the missionary discussions back in the 70s, the rainbow lessons. We actually used to teach that we, in the pre-mortal existence, we walked by sight, but in this life, we walk by faith. Well, there's some truth to that, but it's mostly wrong. <laughs> because we walked by faith. We fought in faith 
our power and our strength, even in the pre-mortal existence, Scott, was based on our faith in and our testimony of Jesus Christ, our elder brother there, as our Savior and Redeemer. This whole war was accomplished in the pre-mortal existence by faith in Jesus Christ. And it's how it will be conquered and how we'll overcome Satan in this life. But back to Revelation 12, verse 11, it says, We overcame Satan in the pre-mortal existence by the blood of the Lamb, second, by the word of our testimony, and third, that we were willing to give our lives, our lives unto the death. That's how we overcame it there. That's the only way we can overcome it here. So I, I just think understanding the war in heaven and our role in that and how that has transferred to us here is just a really important part of our identity and who we are. And Scott, once you know who you are, I mean, if we could get a glimpse of how valiant we were in the war, how, how ferociously we fought in the war in heaven to defend Jesus Christ as our Savior and Redeemer and the Father's plan of salvation and redemption. Wow, if you can get a glimpse of that, it yeah. changes you, and it changes you immediately and forever. And I say what you want before I share a story about that. Well, I the, I was just going to say I know you have a sto- couple of stories about this. <laughs> well, that sorry, gonna, I'm, to, I'm that, talking. Well, no, 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 that, that are going to help us with all of that. But but David, this is one of the things that you think about it. You know, if um, hey, hey, let's go back to um, C.S. Lewis and Wormwood, and you know, and the uh, devil, devil's uh, understudies and so forth. And if you had an understudy and you were the devil. Um, and and you were trying to thwart or throw barriers in front of Heavenly Father's plan, I believe this might be the first place you would start. Yeah. I I think if you could confuse us about who we are, that would be all we would really, really, uh, that's probably all that would really need to be done. Really. And then mission accomplished. Because it's that confusion around who we really are, David, that in my opinion, and, and, you know, I have some experience with this, with my own life and with the lives of many, 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 many others that I have an opportunity to be around and serve with and, and serve. Uh, but if, but if we can forget who we are, if we can be confused about our spiritual identity, we have such identity crisis in our world today as it is around gender and so many other things, right? Uh, that, that, that's just an expansion of, of, of what Satan's trying to do. If he can confuse us about who we are, then, he wins. Yeah, absolutely, Scott. Absolutely. And it just seems to me that uh, in the pre-mortal existence and in this life that he, he makes, he really confuses the line between right and wrong. Yeah. He almost has erased in our culture the line between good and evil. And it, it's, a, it's a fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy that in the latter days that people would call evil good and good evil. And there's just so much confusion about that here in our world. And that, that is the war. That's what the war in heaven was all about. So I, 
I've had um, a couple of experiences with this as a, as a patriarch. Uh, you know, really, almost every Sunday I have an experience with this to some degree or another in in bestowing patriarchal blessings upon individuals and and honestly with an eye of faith and and I take no credit for this God it's a it's a it's a gift from heavenly father it's not not from me none of these blessings come from me I know that I could give lots of examples and experiences I've had that have taught me that some sometimes hard lessons to learn that I'm nobody but it's true acting as an instrument to be able to kind of see them the way God sees them. Many patriarchal blessings talk about how, not just how chosen and elect they were in the premortal existence and how they were preserved to come forth in these latter days based upon their premortal existence, which is taught that we are added upon in this life depending upon what we did in the premortal existence. And will be added upon in the next life, depending upon how we live this life. But you know, I've I've had a few times when you get a glimpse and you you see them in the pre-mortal existence, and it's over. It's overcoming, really. It's it's uh, so touching to be overcome by the spirit and to kind of see them. And I had that experience. It's been a few years ago now, and I've, we've shared this in our previous seasons, there was, a, there was a young woman who called me up and asked uh, if she could set up a time to have a patriarchal blessing, to receive a blessing. And uh, I could just kind of tell by her voice that she was a little bit older. And I, I always ask those who, you know, request a blessing a little bit about themselves. So as I inquired about her, she told me that she had not been to church in 16 years, that she had just recently started to go back to church. And the reason she was going back to church was because she had an eight-year-old daughter. She had actually two children. She told me she had two children. She had never been married. And uh, this eight-year-old daughter, she wanted her to be baptized. And so she'd started to go back to church for her daughter's. This Sunday in which she called me, she called me on a Sunday evening, and uh, she said, I went to church today, and after sacrament meeting, the bishop came down to me and said he wanted to talk to me in the office, and we went in his office for a minute, and we got acquainted. He wanted to know a little bit about me, and he, he said, I feel impressed to ask you, do you have a patriarchal blessing? And she said, no, and he said, well, I feel impressed you should get one. So he gave me a, a recommend and wanted me to call you and set up a time, so we set up a time, and she came over a few weeks later, probably three weeks later, and uh, I remember opening the door, and there's this uh, beautiful young woman, 32 years old, uh, with with dreadlocks and tattoos, piercings, and uh, you could tell that you know she'd had she had a hard life. We we I welcomed her in. We went in the office. She. She had come alone, and we visited and got, got better acquainted. And um, I knew that the Lord had a blessing for her, and this was the day to, for her to receive it. So after saying a little prayer, I laid my hands on her head. After I asked her to say a prayer, and it was a very sweet, short prayer. And then I laid my hands on her head and 
Scott, I was really overcome by the spirit of the Lord and the love of her heavenly father for her. And I, I could see her as a, as a young girl. I could see the, the white dress she wore. <laughs> I mean, this was, I don't, again, uh, how literal this was, I don't know. Whether in the body or out of the body, as Paul kind of describes, I don't know. But I, I could see her. Yeah. In my mind's eye, I could see her. And uh, I, she was just so fun, so much energy, so playful. And then I got just a glimpse of her heavenly parents look watching her and smiling at her. And I was trying to describe this in her blessing, and I kept using the word delight, how they delighted in her as their as their spirit spirit daughter. And uh, anyway, I'm trying to describe all of this in a paragraph, and then I knew there were two things I had to say, and I've never said I never said them before, and I've never said them since in any blessing, but I knew this came from Heavenly Father, and He knew she needed to hear this. And I said, your heavenly father wants you to know that you are one of his favorites. I remember when I said that, Scott, I thought, now is that, is, is that really doctrinally accurate? <laughs> you know, my, my thoughts went, is that doctrinal? Uh, and I thought, well, yeah, we're all his favorites, you know, but she needs to know that she's one of his favorites, that, uh, you know, God, God loves us all. I, I like what Nephi said, that he was highly favored. He knew he was highly favored of the Lord. Anyway, I, I remember some of those thoughts going through my mind when I said that. And uh, so I said, he wants you to know that you're one of his favorites. And then this sentence, and this uh, really affected her and me. I said, and he wants you to know he's never been mad at you. Well, I remember her head falling into her lap and my hands were suspended in midair. And I, I just, I just, nothing was said. We just, there was a moment of silence and she wept for a moment. And then she, she sat back up and continued to kind of cry and, but in that in that moment when her head was in her lap and the the blessing had uh, had this pause, I remember thinking, "Wow, wow, the love of God for His children, how He loved His children in the pre-mortal existence, how He loves them here." I remember thinking, "Wow, if he if he if he's never been mad at her, he's never been mad at any of my kids." If he's never been mad at any of my kids, he's never been mad at me. If he's never been mad at me, he's never. I know he's never been mad at my wife. I just remember thinking, wow, the love of God. It was, it was quite a moment, Scott, to feel that. I know she felt that. I, I never, I always felt bad after that blessing. I never asked her if she saw it too. I kind of wondered if she had seen it. But... I, as I tried to describe that, 
I know that uh, the pre-mortal existence became so real to me, and I hope that it has to her. And I haven't seen her since, but I know that that changed her life. It will change her life. It has, and it will, and and uh, and it has mine. So I just I just want to testify to all of our listeners that. I know the premortal existence is real and that we are literal spirit sons and daughters of heavenly parents and how pleased they were uh, with us and how much they loved us and how sad they were that one-third. I think about this sometimes when I think of the wayward children who leave the teachings of their parents and who rebel and wander for a while think how hard it was for our heavenly parents to lose one third and uh, Scott not just to lose them for a little while but for them to be so rebellious and really hateful towards their savior redeemer the the firstborn son of our heavenly parents and the only begotten in the flesh Jesus Christ to be so hateful towards him and so rebellious towards their father that they would become known as perdition and choose to follow Satan instead of following the father's plan. I, I, I think about, wow, how hard that must have been for those heavenly parents. So I just, uh, the pre-mortal existence is, is, is real to me. And... Uh, and I know that we existed before this life, and I know that how we lived there and the choices that we made there uh, definitely have direct effect, not just on us having physical bodies here, but what we are here to accomplish, what we are here to do. And when one gets um, some sort of a glimpse or an idea or belief that they existed before this life, and there's more to this life than just this life, that their life here was influenced by their life before this life, that they came here for a foreordained purpose or mission, that when people feel that, believe it, get a glimpse of it, wow, Scott, it changes It changes them forever. It changes, changes all their decisions and choices in their life after that. I think one of the biggest things I love so much about that story, and I've heard that story several times now uh, about the patriarchal blessing, and it changes. I think this time one of the things that I love so much about that is Heavenly Father's never been mad at you. I I don't know, um, but I I, I, I think I do know. I think that if we have a real concept, a real living concept of what it was like to be in a pre-mortal life with loving parents, with a, with, a, with a redeemer, with a savior who would come down and satisfy the laws of justice in our behalf so that we could have free agency, so that we could be like unto him, unto them in all ways, but especially and first in that way. I just, Heavenly Father knew the end from the beginning, he knew all the things that we would go through. It makes sense that he wouldn't be mad <laughs> at any of us. Scott, I've 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 kind of made this a study. Yeah. You know, in the Old Testament, it talks a lot about his anger and his wrath. Right. And I've made a study of this, and I was so grateful that Elder Christofferson 
confirmed this because I'd come to the same conclusion that his anger and wrath, as it's described, is not an emotion. God has no wrathful emotion. When he talks about his wrath, that is not an emotion that he has. I mean, I'm sure he could be, but he is not. He, there's no contention, anger or wrath. It, is, it describes his actions. It describes his, the consequences for breaking laws or commandments. It describes what he does, Scott, not what he feels. When you talk about the wrath of God, you're talking about the outcomes or his actions. Wrath does not describe his emotions yeah. for his children. Yeah, yeah. And I, I know I have felt like God's been angry with me. I know the, the students in our institute class that we see every Wednesday night have expressed that to me. I know my kids have felt that. Some still do. I know members. So I think this is a problem, you know, that, that, that we must overcome. And the, one of the great ways, the best way I know to overcome this is through a relationship with our Heavenly Father, the Holy Ghost, Jesus Christ, because of his atonement. But again... Going back to an understanding who we were from the very beginning really kind of helps me to line that all out. And uh, true. And understanding who God is yeah. helps us to know who we are. Yeah. And when you know, when you know that God is a loving Father yep. and that our relationship to him is child to father, father right. to child, right. and that he is, he's never going to to hate us. He's never going to be mad at us. Now, again, there are laws, and there will be consequences, but there is accountability. But the, law, but the consequences aren't because of God's anger towards exactly. us. Exactly. The consequences are because of the, the, uh, the law of justice and mercy. Yeah, exactly. So I, I think it's really just critical that we see God for for who he is. Now, I know he is a God of emotions. I know he has emotions. Absolutely. But his emotions are always appropriate and perfect. And uh, I know he cries. I know he feels sorrow. I know that he, uh, uh, I think angry is a word that can mean, take on a lot. I know he feels, he never feels contention. I'm sure he feels disappointment. (laughs) I'm sure he feels a lot of the things that, uh, a loving parent watching their children struggle would feel. But he also has the ability to see the end from the beginning, and he sees the beginning, and he remembers us in ways that we can't necessarily remember because of the veil. And it affects his feelings for us. If we had that same blessing and benefit to get a glimpse, there's a veil for a reason, one of the one of the reasons there's a veil is so that we won't be too accountable. You know, it's not just to test us. That's, that's one reason that there's a veil, that we can be tested. But another reason is is that we, he he, out of his love for us, he doesn't want us to be overly accountable, to be able to see perfectly who we were there and what we were foreordained to accomplish. So I I just know that. Uh, our belief, what we believe, what we choose to believe, what we understand uh, about the premortal existence, Scott, it definitely affects our daily life here. 
So another another experience, Scott, that I've had that's personal with with me and my family is um, with my with my son Devin. I know not not every uh, person has this uh, blessing, and I, by the way, I, I've given I don't know three hundred and something patriarchal blessings, and I haven't seen everyone in their premortal existence in detail the way I saw that that particular daughter of Heavenly Father. But I, I, I've got, had a glimpse of a few. And uh, before I was ever a patriarch, I was encouraging my son to get his patriarchal blessing. He had, uh, in Minnesota, when we lived in Minnesota for 14 years, where he was basically raised uh, as a child and teenager and had such great success as a uh, basketball player and captain of his basketball team and and uh, all city conference which is a big deal some great basketball players in the Minneapolis St. Paul metro area and he was the all conference point guard and and uh, went on played a little college basketball became captain of his college basketball team he saw himself as a basketball player that was his identity Scott and I uh, had a hard time really to get him to be fully functionable. Uh, he was always a great kid, always a good kid. I think he he tried really hard to live the standards and keep the commandments, and he was such a respectful son to his parents, earthly parents. And and uh, anyway, lots of lots of sweet things about him, but he he just didn't feel really connected to the church or see himself so much as maybe a Latter Day Saint. And uh, it was while he was playing college basketball that I had, that I had uh, gone up there for the weekend, picked him up, brought him home, enjoyed it a few days with him, and then I was driving him back to his college uh, dorms where he lived with basketball players. And I was saying, "Hey, Devin, how you doing? Good, and, son. Are you going to church once in a while?" He said, I, "I'm I'm going once in a while, Dad. I, I'm going once in a while." I said, "Son, are are, are you still thinking about going on a mission?" Because, you know, I, that was a conversation we'd had throughout his teenage years. And this was a little bit heartbreaking. He said to me, Dad, I'm not a missionary. And I'm never going to go on a mission. And please don't bring up the M word again. And, uh, wow, that that was a little shocking, surprising, <laughs> and a little hurtful. And uh, I think we rode in silence for a while after that. And uh, so I told my sweetheart when I got home, and that night we prayed again that he might be able to go on a mission. Uh, we continued to pray for that, and he had a non-member girlfriend, and I was concerned about that. And anyway, he we got invited to move to Utah, I think, the year after that. And he was kind of finishing up his college. Uh, he was 20 two years old at the time, and I called him up one day, and I said, son, we've been asked to move to Utah, then I hope that you'll come with us, because I wasn't sure he would. I, I thought maybe he'd just stay in Minnesota, because his connection's there, and uh, I said, I, I'm hoping that you'll come with us, and uh, he said, dad, I I actually think I need a change. I, I'd, li- I'd like to do that. And I'd like to maybe move out there before you move out there. So I think it was in April or May that I moved him out. To before. We didn't move till August, and I think I moved him out there in April 
to Utah, from Minnesota to Utah. And uh, he's, he got introduced to a, to a sweet girl, little uh, LDS girl, and they started to date. I know that he had kind of changed his uh, cell phone number and had kind of broken things off with his girlfriend in Minnesota. And and uh, by the time we moved out to Utah, he he had he really liked this girl, and they were really close. A few months after we had moved out there, yeah, they came to us in our home, and in, in uh, I think it was October, or November, and and they said, "Hey, we wanted you to be the first to know that uh, we're going to get married in the spring." You know, he's 22, she's 21. And I said, wow, that's great. That's awesome. Congratulations. And I asked, in the temple? And he said, he he put up his hand. Well, we're going to work towards that, Dad. We're going to work towards that. I said, oh, man, that would be awesome, Devin. Devin, before you get married, get your patriarchal blessing. Please get your patriarchal blessing. So about two weeks later, after the big announcement, uh, I get a call from Devin, and I'm I'm actually driving home from work. It's about 6 o'clock at night. He says, hey, Dad, where's the patriarch live? And I said, hey, this son. My, this is my favorite part of this story. <laughs> hey, son, you can't just show up, bud. You you got to see your bishop. You got to get a recommend. You got to be... You got to be worthy. It's something that you got to prepare for. <laughs> and there was maybe silence for a moment. And he said, "Hey dad, I've seen my bishop. I have a recommend. I'm worthy enough. I have an appointment at in seven o'clock tonight, and I've been fasting all day. Will you just tell me where he lives?" <laughs> oh man. Uh, this uh, is a, such a good boy, but uh, wow. Well, he was 22, Dad. I know. <laughs> I know. That, that was bad dadmanship uh, on my part. Hey, you know. Anyway, he was he had been fasting and praying all day, he said. And I said, oh, son, that's so great. And then I thought, well, we get to come, right? And so I said, are, are we invited? Are Mom and I invited? No, no, if it's okay, Dad, I just want this to be between me and the patriarch and the Lord. And I said, oh, well, that's, that's sweet, son. And then I thought, oh, I'll bet Brittany's going. And so I said, is Brittany going? Because I, in my mind, I'm Yeah, thinking, you're thinking, if she's going, I'm going. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, actually, actually, no, no, Dad, she's not. In fact, I asked her if she'd come over to the house and visit with you guys while I get my blessing. And so is that okay if she comes over to the house tonight while I get my blessing? And I said, sure, son. That's that's awesome. Uh, th- that'll be great. Have a, you know, I'll, I'll see you after your blessing. So anyway, uh, she came over to the house about 7. He went to get a, his patriarchal blessing uh, from a wonderful state patriarch. And about 8 o'clock, he, he drives up. I remember him driving up, and uh, this is my favorite part of the story. <laughs> when he opens the door to come in the house, he doesn't let go of the doorknob. He never let go of the doorknob. He opened the house, or he opened the door into the house, holding the doorknob, and with his left hand, he waves to Brittany. Hey, Brittany, i got to see you outside for a minute. 
and he looks kind of white. He kind of looks peaked, like he, you know. And I'm thinking, oh no, what happened? You know, I've been through quite a bit with him, and I've, I'm thinking, oh, is something wrong? Yeah. And and uh, she gets up, kind of shrugs her shoulders, and looks at us, and walks outside. And I'm thinking, oh man, what's what's going on? So I ran upstairs to look out my her bedroom window through the blinds of like, our bedroom window, like any good dad yeah, would. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and uh, I could see him leaning out uh, on his uh, car, uh, weeping. She's wiping his tears, and he's wiping hers. And pretty soon they come to walk back into the house, and I ran downstairs to sit back in the couch. <laughs> before they could so come they, in. So that it made it look yeah, like Yeah, yeah, I'm just sitting happened. there all calm yeah, and course. serene. Been sitting here the whole time, guys. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he says, uh, hey, Mom and Dad, we're going to leave, and I just wanted you to, to know that uh, we're taking off, and I'll let you know. Uh, I'll talk to you tomorrow. Oh, man, that was a long night. I didn't I didn't sleep. I actually heard him come home, but I, I wanted to honor what he had said, and then uh, he came home late that night. I eventually got a few hours sleep, but I, I got up early, like 5 o'clock, because I knew he had to go to work really early. And when he came up to the kitchen around 6 o'clock, I said, son, please, please, can you tell me what happened? And this is a boy, Scott, I've never heard publicly bear his testimony. He said to me, Dad, I had a vision. I said, what, what do you mean, son? What do you mean you had a vision? And he said, I, I got a glimpse. I got a glimpse of myself in the pre-mortal existence last night when the patriarch laid his hands on my head to give me my blessing. I could see myself in the pre-mortal existence. And this is a quote. I was very influential in helping Others follow Jesus Christ and not follow Satan. And then he said, And Dad, if I did that there, I have to do that here. I'm going to go on a mission. And the engagement's off. Wow, Scott, I I was speechless. I, I didn't know what to say. I. It was such a, a tender, sweet moment. The Spirit's so strong. And I knew that he'd had an experience. Uh, something of an epiphany, and he, that he he knew who he was, he knew uh, his purpose, and it changed immediately. That this is what this it was such a miracle because it, in one blinding moment, his life immediately completely changed when he had that experience with the patriarch the night before. I mean, he opened the door and wouldn't let go of the doorknob. If that would have been me, I think I might have come in and talked and wondered what to do about it all, you know. I maybe would have thought, well, what am I going to do about this? He knew immediately what he had to do about that, and it completely changed the course and direction of his life. And Brittany's. And Brittany's and their families. So he put, two, two weeks later, he's put in his papers. And a few weeks after that, he gets his call. And he's called to go to Florida on his mission. Goes in the MTC on his 23rd birthday. The 23rd birthday, he enters the MTC. And uh, it changed his life forever. He was a, a tremendous, effective missionary. And I'm happy to say that Brittany waited. She had her own experiences. 
and she and she waited thankfully and they were married in the temple three weeks after he got home they were married in the temple and have four beautiful children you know honestly the the observing that and the lesson that i've learned scott from that experience and patriarchal blessings is that once we know and i invite all of our listeners to restudy their patriarchal blessings and maybe 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 their premortal existence isn't really mentioned in their their patriarchal blessing but if they read it in faith if if they really kind of read between the lines i think they can get a glimpse of, to see themselves the way god sees them and to kind of know they'll they'll get a better idea of who they are uh and once we do that, once we see that with an eye of faith, and it's in our hearts, Scott, it changes us forever. So I just invite our listeners uh, to kind of re-examine their patriarchal blessings, to study them, to to ponder uh, who they are, their their gifts that they need to cultivate, uh, their um, talents that they brought with them here from the pre-mortal existence, their purpose, and and who they are. And once they know who they are, um, their lives will be forever changed and uh, blessed. And uh, I just uh, bear witness of the truth of those experiences and and those truths, Scott. So, thank you. The uh, the the whole thing that I love the most about the story about the young lady who was one of Heavenly Father's favorites, and the story about and and this story is not just Devin's story. This is Devin and Brittany's story. This yeah, last story, right. really, right? For because sure. because of their eternal union and and uh, all of that now. The, the, the cool thing about all of this is is these, these experiences, or some like it, that Heavenly Father has in store for us. Heavenly Father wants us to all, all to know these things. He wants me to know wh- wh- from whence I come. Right. He, he wants me to know of my spiritual DNA. Right. Uh, and he wants all of us to know that. He wants all of us to know that so, because sure. knowing who we are when life does throw things at us, which it will... If we can go back, so for uh, throughout Devin's life, he will be able to go back if he chooses and tap into that same night that he and Brittany held each other, leaning against his car, wiping tears from each other because of one of the most poignant experiences that was life-changing for them. We all have that. We all have that uh, ability. We all have the promise from Heavenly Father that he will help us to know who we are so that we can, through that memory, through that remembering, also remember his son. Brothers and sisters, it is only through the effects of Jesus Christ, through his atonement, that we have the ability to overcome any and all of the effects of the fall of Adam and Eve, which is mortality, and we're talking about mortality today. And it is only, it is only through His atonement that we overcame Satan in the pre-mortal existence. Yep. And it's because of that we did that there. We have to do that here. That's right. And it's through the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimonies and and loving and not our lives unto our to unto the, the death to the death that yeah. we will overcome. Satan and his followers here. 
May God bless us so to do throughout this week is our prayer, and we pray that for each and every one of us. Uh, gang, don't, don't hesitate to send us your questions. He redeems us at gmail.com. God be with you all until we meet again. We look forward to being with you again next week, and until then, be well.